And on Sunday night we study the book of Hebrews. And we're in the 12th chapter. And I want to read verses 4 through 13. And I'll be referring back to these verses again in just a moment. So follow me as I read. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And, you've not, and you have forgotten the, the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for your discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had, an er we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I want to reserve, save verses 12 and 13 for just a moment. Maximum love makes discipline unnecessary. That's a widely held belief and opinion but regardless of what your children may tell you, it is wrong. Discipline is not only necessary, it is often imperative and essential. Charlie Shedd has a great book, he's got several books, but one of his books is called, entitled Promises to Peter. And in this book, if you have that, you've, you've seen the letter that was written to Charlie Shedd by, from a teenage girl, and the letter goes something like this. My problem is one you probably don't hear much about. My father is very busy. My mother is a champion golfer, and she's at the club every afternoon when I come home from school. On weekends, they party, and sometimes I worry about it because they drink too much, especially lately. But what really bothers me is how they let me do just about everything I want to do. And they never tell me when to come in. And I can go about anywhere I want. You might think how lucky she is, but I tell you that's not how I feel about it. What worries me is if I'm really ready to decide everything by myself. And Charlie, Head, Charlie Shedd says, in kind of a summary or kind of a postscript to that letter, too many restrictions is bad. Too many uh, limitations will produce re rebellion and revolution, but too few restrictions are equally bad which, because they produce a kind of a low-grade insecurity and alarm. And he said, we have concluded in our house 
that our children want only so much self-government. They feel secure if the parental reins are in firm hands. I tell you, every child needs the comfort of the smarting rod. I just looked at the reaction of my friends down here on the front, and they're saying, what is that old man, who's he think he's kidding? That every child needs the comfort of the smarting rod. But before you think that those two things don't go together, comfort and the smarting rod, I want to remind you of Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There is a security in the home when we know that our parents have their hand firmly on the rod of discipline and there is a security available to the children of God when he knows that God wields the rod, the comforting rod of discipline. Now before I get into this text, I want you to turn back with me to the 119th Psalm. I just want to kind of uh, lay the groundwork. Now I'm fixing to, you know, I'm getting into some stuff now that's not too popular to hear. So I want to kind of lay the groundwork and be sure that I've got a basis for what I'm about to say. And so I want to read about four verses or three verses from the 119th Psalm, verse 67, verse 71, verse 75. So if you find that, then we'll read it together. I want you to substitute because in the Hebrew the word afflicted is the counterpart to the English word disciplined. So we'll substitute the word afflicted, the word discipline here in Psalm 119 for the word afflicted. Look at verse 67. Before I was disciplined, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was disciplined, that I may learn thy statues. And verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous, and in faithfulness, and I've underlined this one time in my quiet time reading, and in thy faithfulness, because he is faithful as a father, thou hast disciplined me. Now because he is faithful, he's going to discipline us. Now we need to get a definition of the word discipline. In my class on Sunday night, we're studying, uh, you know, um, uh, parenting with grace, and we're, we've been several weeks now in the, in the matter of discipline, and so I've got a good definition. My class can give you the definition of discipline. It comes from the Latin word that means to train or to guide or to teach. It means to teach. And the goal of discipline is that we might become self-disciplined and self-governed so that when we think of the idea of discipline normally we think of getting a whipping you know when we do wrong you know getting punished for something we've done wrong 
But, the, but that's, the, that's a wrong concept of the biblical idea of discipline. Discipline is the, the instrument or the means or the method by which God trains or teaches us. And the goal of His discipline is that we might become self-disciplined and self-governed so that the mature man, the ideal of the mature man is that he is able to say thank you for the smarting rod because unless there is discipline that is accompanied with affirmation and support, we have only a sloppy, low-grade concept of love. Now let's get a little bit of review, then we'll plunge into this and it won't take us long. I want you to remember the concern that's found in chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. So I want to read that again. We, can't, we went over this. This is the concern that the author of the book of Hebrews has. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which was a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Now, the, the, the author of the book of Hebrews was writing to people who were abandoning their, abandoning their faith in God, and their need was to hang in there with endurance when times got rough. Now, I need to say, just kind of, you know, by pre, in way of preface, that a child who has not had discipline in his life and home is not prepared for the tough times. And the person who has not found or understood or recognized, accepted, yielded to the discipline of God is not prepared for the trouble that comes in life. And yes, if you have need of endurance, the ability to hang in there, in chapter 11, we found some examples of people who lived by faith. And each one of these persons that were found in chapter 11 were people just like you and me who endured great suffering because they had known the discipline of the Lord. And then he comes to chapter 12 and he tells us that we're encompassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, these people who have lived the life of faith and have gone on to be with God and they draw very near to observe us. I think they literally see us, observing us. And he said they're cheering us on in the battle. They know that you know, the discipline that comes in life is going to prepare us to have endurance for the struggles of life and they're cheering us on and verse 3 is a marvelous transition in case you're getting weak and you're getting tired in the struggle he said consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against him just keep your mind on Jesus just keep your heart and mind focused on him if you're getting weak in the, in the battle now there are two ground rules we need to get right quickly. Two ground rules for discipline. The first ground rule I need to uh, I need to say a couple uh, maybe a thing or two before I give you the ground rules found in verse 4 you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving. The word striving there means is the word a Greek word from which we get the word antagonism. And he's talking about this antagonism that, that comes from, from sinners 
these Christians who are being antagonized by sinful people. And these sinners are wanting these Christians to give up their faith and to abandon their faith in Christ. He said, now you've not yet shed blood in this antagonism that you're enduring, which implies that the persecution that these Christians were enduring was that the outsider, the persecutor, was trying to kill their faith and to kill them. Now this is the ground rule. That discipline, the discipline of the Lord is better than death. Let me show you something. You know what God, why God disciplines you and me? He disciplines us for life. He disciplines us so that we can live and he's saying, now you may not like the discipline of God, but it's better than dying. And, and the discipline that God gives is a discipline for life. Second ground rule is found in verses six, 5 and 6. And it's this, that discipline proves that God loves you. Discipline proves the Father's love and does not deny it. Now there are two very popular reactions to discipline that are found in verses 5 and 6. One is to take discipline too lightly. I always had a feeling that if my kids laughed after I spanked them, I didn't spank them hard enough. You know? have, have you ever seen, you know, the, you know the, uh, kids, you know, you, 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 you practice a little you know, of the rod and when you get through there kind of thing, and man, that was nothing, you know, <laughs> nothing to that kind of thing. He said, now don't take the discipline of the Lord too lightly. Listen carefully, folks. If God is disciplining you in life, listen up. Because God has something He wants to say. Somebody said, God whispers in our pleasures. He shouts in our pain." And if right now in your life you feel the rod of God's discipline, it's caught because God has something He wants to say. He's trying to get your attention. The second reaction to discipline usually is, in verse 5 and 6, is that we faint or we cave in and we, you know, we, we throw this pity party, invite all our friends, and we just wallow and, wallow and self-pity. You know, look at what God's doing in my life. Now there are four principles I want you to hang on to. Now we'll get to this passage. Things that you may want to write somewhere in the index of your Bible that will kind of help you endure the pain that comes in life of God's discipline. Number one is found in verse 7 and 8. Discipline assures us of sonship. Discipline assures us of sonship. Because God disciplines you, He, he does that to assure you sonship. Now the first phrase in verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure, assumes the question, why? Why should I endure the discipline of the Lord? And he answers that assumed question with this word, because it is for learning. Now, 
He wants to teach you because you're His children. And His discipline is the assurance that you are His child. We're all in this classroom of learning and, we, and some of the greatest things we will ever learn in life, we'll learn with a sigh. The loss of that job, a broken romance, some disease, the loss of a child, being misunderstood, not enough money. I remember when I was a kid, a friend of mine named Wayne Lawrence came home with me one weekend. He invited himself to come home and spend a weekend. And uh, so on Saturday morning, we, we decided we wanted to you know, do something exciting, so we were going to take pot shots at all the chickens in the barnyard. So we got out our pellet guns and our, and our BB guns, and we kind of, you know, how you crawl around on your hands and knees, you know, around in, in, in combat and uh, taking, you know, shooting at the enemy. And we had the whole barnyard stirred up, so they'd be running around the chicken's wood, and we was shooting them, taking, you know, was picking them off one by one. Didn't kill them, but had the feathers flying everywhere, squawking, and, and it was just a real riot, having a great time, until I looked up and saw this shadow, you know, kind of looming over me there. And uh, my father was there, and he, uh, he proceeded to uh, uh, administer proper discipline and after that was over, you know, and I kind of was snubbing, and I finished kind of snubbing and crying, I observed to my father that he didn't whip my friend. It was really his fault. He got me into this. I said, why didn't you whip Wayne? This was his wise answer, because he's not my son. Now, I've never heard any sermons on, the, on assurance of, whether, of the fact that I've been saved that had as one of its points that you are being disciplined by God, but that is a mark of assurance. If you belong to God, He's going to discipline you. You can mark that down and put that in your little black book. Second, it's found in verse 9. Discipline deepens and enhances life. Let me read verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now the analogy here is the analogy of the respect we have for earthly fathers, and we recognize that they have the right to discipline and he's saying that we're to have the same kind of respect to the Heavenly Father who has the right to do anything He wants to in our life. Now when the Lord brings the rod, often brings the rod of discipline, we, uh, we want to run from that rod and we feel, we feel battered and bruised and betrayed and we, we, we wonder, how could God allow this? Or how could God cause this to happen? And, and, and probably, you don't hear too many people in testimony meetings or in church services saying, I want to just get up tonight and I just want to praise the Lord and thank God for the discipline He's doing in my life. I don't want to hear that too often. Or when we give testimony, we want to give testimony of all the pleasures and the blessings that God has brought into life. 
the greatest things, perhaps, that will happen to you, some of the finest things that you will ever learn, you will learn in the process of God's discipline. Somebody said that suffering is a marvelous fertilizer to the root of character. I picked up the newspaper last week and I, I read about those guys that that airplane that took off from Los Angeles, do you read that? And they flew out over the Pacific Ocean and was making that bank turn if you've ever flown out of Los Angeles. And they saw on the instrument panels that there was something wrong with one of the, uh, with one of the engines. So in trying to correct that, you read about that? They turned both engines off. It made a rapid descent. Some of those people were blowing up those life preservers and getting ready for the impact. They were ready to die and getting ready for it. And I don't know whether you saw it or not, but I saw an interesting statement by one of those people, right, one of those passengers. He said, while we were on our way down, I thanked God for this hour. I thought to myself, now, I don't know what I'm going to be doing when I'm plunging like a rock from about 6,000 feet, but I'm probably not going to be thanking God. Ah, uh, why not? Discipline enhances life. Any, t- any child will tell you that he, has, he, was, he, he, he was taught to live by the smarting rod of discipline. Any child will tell you that his life was enriched and enhanced by the guidance and the teaching and the training of his parents' discipline. Third principle, verse 10. Discipline continues for our benefit. Now there are two limitations to an earthly discipline. One, he says in verse 10, is that it's temporary. It doesn't it, the word security there. The second principle, discipline deepens and enhances life. You could put the word maturity there. The third principle, discipline continues for our benefit. You could put the word conformity there. By the way, senior adults, you never get so old that God doesn't discipline you. Now the fourth principle is this. Though initially discipline is painful... It is ultimately valuable. And you could put the word spirituality there. Now I don't normally read a whole lot of things, but you know, I, I, I found some stuff this week that I just got to share with you. Are, you. are you listening? I know it's hard to listen when somebody's up here reading something, but I, I want you to listen to this. Organs that mean melody and, and, and beauty, but organ factories mean din and dirt. The instrument is built for music, and music it will ultimately bring. But the building where it is fashioned resounds with more racket than rhythm. The world is such a factory. In it the master builder is creating and completing new men in Christ Jesus, making them meet for the inheritance of the saints and light. The process, however, 
by which the author and finisher of our faith prosecutes and perfects his plan will often be misunderstood. Many of the operations will appear hard and rough and will hit as heavily and hurt as badly as the raps of the hammer in the shop. I love it. This is what C.S. Lewis said. We want not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven whose plan for the universe could be such that it could be said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. Oh, I should very much like to live in a universe governed on such lines. But since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I must conclude that my conception of love needs a correction. The problem of reconciling human suffering with the conception of God's love is only insoluble, now listen carefully, so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and limit His wisdom to what seems to us to be wise. It is shallow and foolish to think that God who loves us would never discipline us. He does discipline us he says, and regularly so. And this is what Cortland Meyer says, someday God's going to reveal the fact to every Christian that the very principles they now rebel against have been the instruments He has used in perfecting their characters and molding them into perfection. Now the point of these statements is this, that even though sometimes the discipline of God is painful, it is valuable, you will never be, you will never be what God wants you to be without His discipline. Watchman Nee said, I I learn no new thing apart from suffering. Now there's a conclusion to all this, believe it or not. The conclusion is found in verses 12 and 13. I need to read those. Therefore he said, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now, I don't get a thing out of that, did you? So I'm going to read the J.B. Phillips translation of verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. So take a firm grip on life and brace your trembling limbs. Don't wander away from the path, but forge steadily, steadily onward on the right path the limping foot recovers strength and does not collapse. I got a lot out of that. And Samuel Rutherford said, I bless God for the hammer and the nail and the file. And I want to play a little game with you. I want you to play like tonight that you're the nail. Now if I had my choice, I think I'd rather be the hammer, but 
let's just play like you're the nail and you're taking a beating. Every, you know, all the time, consistently, that hammer comes down on top of your head, just bends you down, smashes you down, comes down hard on you. You're going to resent the hammer, aren't you? I am. I'm going to lash back. I may resent, I may curse the hammer that brings pain, inflicts suffering on me until I remember that it's not the hammer. It's the hand of the carpenter that holds the hammer. And then I remember that it's not the circumstances in life that come that have caused me pain. It's not the circumstances of today or yesterday or tomorrow that have hurt me. Those circumstances were in the hand of the carpenter. And I remember that the carpenter is my father who loves me and who has a marvelous dream and plan for my life. He wants to make something out of me. And so he must bring or he must permit the hammer and the file in order that his plan might be accomplished. And if I can trust the carpenter, I'll not resist or resent his hammer. Somewhere there's a poem. There is three points, six points and a poem tonight. Listen to this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play for him the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart to build so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, then watch God's methods, watch his ways. How ruthlessly, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him, making shapes and forms which only God Himself can understand. Even while his man is crying, lifting a beseeching hand, yet God bends but never breaks when man's good He undertakes, when He uses whom He chooses, and with every purpose fuses man to act and act to man as it was when He began. When God tries His splendor out, man will know what He's about. I've got to say this, and I want to try to believe it, that if there has been the daily rod of God in your life and discipline in your life, it must be you're very special to God. He has a very special plan.
for you. Let's pray together. Father, help us not to chafe and rebel and resent the discipline of the Lord, but to find security in the fact that you'll not let us go anywhere we want to go, do anything we want to do. That you'll not give us the freedom of self-government, but like a perfect father, you hold the reins firmly. And I pray that when we stray, you'll correct us back, just as you've always done. And when you do, we'll know that we belong to you, that you have a plan that you're directing us toward, the goal that you're after for us. I pray for this moment of invitation, for the decisions that some of us need to make publicly, they will get glory to you and give glory to you in Christ's name. Now, there are three invitations that I'd like to mention, uh, appeal uh, tonight. One is a, an invitation for you to receive Jesus Christ into your life, accept Him as your Savior, abandon your faith to Him, your trust from things, from self to Him. An invitation for church membership. There may be some who need to come and place their life in the church. Or there may be some of us tonight who just need to say, I, as, as children have said today, as others have said, I need to draw closer to God. I need a deeper relationship with Him. I need a closer walk. I'm, a, I'm ashamed of the way I've lived. I want to begin again. As God would lead you to make this decision, we invite you to make it public as we stand to sing.